When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on our USFL Spotlight Show, we're going to talk with Fox Sports' USFL lead analyst and college football lead analyst, Joel Klatt, about his perspective and impressions on the inaugural USFL season as we wrap up week 10 of the regular season and head to Canton, Ohio for the inaugural USFL playoffs. I'm also going to give you my predictions for most valuable player offensive player of the year and defensive player of the year in the USFL. Those, of course, will be announced later this week as we approach the end of the regular season and we head toward who needs and deserves these accolades. Oh, did I mention coach of the year? I feel like that's a foregone conclusion. But before we talk about those things, let's talk to Joel. And I am pleased to be joined by Fox's lead USFL and college football analyst, Joel Klatt. Joel, how you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm very excited to talk with you about this season in the USFL, the inaugural season of the USFL, for which you have been a part of yeah. at least one broadcast every single weekend yeah. without fail, and sometimes calling back-to-back games. Yeah, sometimes too. Right. And I just, I'm curious to start with, what have you learned about the USFL? Yeah that you think fans should know? Oh, man, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I get jaded sometimes in college football and then watching the NFL because it can feel at times all about, you know, like the, the TV deal is this much money and the coach gets paid this much money and, and this contract and that contract. And, and I feel like, and unfortunately in the college lands, landscape, certainly it's become, you know, a bit too much of a business. And, and I have learned that there, there are so many guys out there that are willing to go and yes, they're being paid and yes, it's professional football, but their love, their love of the sport has really just like shown through. And, and that's, I think to me, I don't know if I've learned it, but it's what I've loved about it so, so far is how hard the guys play and they're down there and it's not easy. And I have a unique perspective, RJ, because of, of my background playing minor league baseball. So I remember what it was like to sit in a, in a hotel and, you know, your life is just about your sport. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what they're doing. Now, I didn't do it in a bubble with all the other teams, which is which would be fascinating. 
Um, but you really got to love the sport to, to excel at this level and to, and to excel in this league. And that's certainly what I've loved about it, but it's also just kind of brought it to the forefront. Uh, and that's probably what I've learned. And then I've also learned, and this, this is my, my history with spring football. You know, we did a little of the XFL as well. Spring football is, 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 it not only works, but I think it's really good. And for, for the purpose that it serves. And that's certainly something that I've learned this year. I want to echo all of that and really double down on just how excited and thrilled and appreciative players are for the opportunity yeah. to play in this league, right? That's totally. one of my favorite aspects of this is just learning what it takes to get here. And then I've say this all the time, and I think you'll agree with me. There are great football players everywhere. Like I'm amazed yeah. at some of the talent that is in this league. I'm going, yeah. wait a second, you went to where and you did what? You yeah, know, and I always, I always say, RJ, there's probably outside of like the top 10% of players in the national football league. There's, you could replace 90% of the NFL out there. And maybe that that's an exaggeration, but there are a ton of really good football players that are just on the streets and need an opportunity, not on the streets, like literally, but you know what I mean? Like in, from a football sense, like don't have an opportunity after college and, and are trying to find a, a place to play. And this provides that. And, and they, they certainly have shown out. There's a lot of players that I, I look at and I'm like, man, you, you, you're really good. And on top of being really good, really resilient, one of the mm -hmm. challenges I thought of being a player in this league was there is no bye week, right? There's no yeah. real off time. You're playing yeah. every single weekend. And I wonder what you think of the overall scheduling format, sometimes playing four games in two days or four games in three days. So I, I think that that's, that's needed. Like you, you have to do it that way in order for it to work because it does have to work out financially, you know, for the, for the backer. And so there can't be too much downtime uh, in that regards because that just costs too much money. Um, the resilience also, I think, comes in, RJ, in terms of roster size mm -hmm. and the amount of time that not only they have to go without buys, but also a lot of them have to be on every single special. And, you know, it's, it's not easy to have a limited roster and, and compete this many weeks in a row. So a lot of these guys are playing banged up. Um, and I think that that's obviously, you know, speaks to your point about resilience um, and also love of the sport. There's no there's no doubt about that. The schedule, I think, has has worked. Um, the, I think that the only thing that I'm excited for moving forward is is to present this to more people. Uh, and I'm not talking about a television standpoint. I've been there for the Birmingham games and I can feel like the good energy for the Birmingham games with the crowd. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, next season and seasons after where each of these teams has an opportunity to go play potentially in front of a home crowd, or we have two different locations or whatever the model is. I think expanding it from an in-person fan standpoint is going to be important and, and much needed. And that would be the only thing that I would say from, I guess, a scheduling standpoint is I know why we had to do it this way this year, but I'm looking forward to taking it to more people and, and getting more fans uh, in the stands for each of these games. I couldn't agree more in that the way that Birmingham has embraced the Stallions and yeah. has the largest turnout for each one of their games. It also 
invites me to remember home field advantage does actually mean something somewhere yeah. in a market like Birmingham's where you have a huge college football following to begin with, right? With Tuscaloosa being right down the road and the UAB Blazers uh, playing right at Protective Stadium where most of the games are played. I've just been enthusiastic about being able to tell people, hey, United States Le uh, Football League plays in your city or is within driving distance. Maybe you want to go check it out. They'd be like, I had no idea. Yeah. And then they get to hear a Joel Klatt on the call and really do one of my favorite things, Joel. It's, it really is. You will hear the play call and then you will tell me what is about to happen. I, <laughs> I love it so much. So I, I want to know from the television standpoint, how do you feel to be able to hear the oh, play call and the back and forth? I love it. I love hearing it. There's And there's so much depth to this, uh, this topic. There's so much you can go into of, of what I love about it. Obviously, it's it's you know, we get to know what the play is, but, but I love hearing all the different language. Uh, and I'm not talking about foul language either, although we do hear that. I know we kind of don't beep it out for you at home, but I'm, I'm talking about just the, the language of football. You know, you've, you've got, you know, deuce, deuce, right. 52 Y stick Z, you know, Z search. Uh, and then someone else is just like, you know, Brown butter pirate, you know, left OTQ and, and like all these, you just got all of this stuff. And I love it. Every time we get to hear one of these play calls, I just smile. Uh, and it's because I love the game. I love the game of football. I love the, the X's to nose, the schematics. Um, I love watching players think, I know that sounds so crazy, but I love watching players process information. Because there's no other sport that you're processing the amount of information from a detail standpoint as you are in football. Now, there's free-flowing creative ways that you're processing information in other sports like hockey and basketball and so on and so forth. But I'm talking about like processing real detailed information and specific information. There's no other sport like football because of those play calls. So to get to hear it, I think, delivers a whole layer of nuance for the fan at home. And then obviously, you know, if I can dissect some of the things out of the play call, and what I love about it is teaching things like this. I think most people believe that there are just football plays. Like what play did they run? And I always kind of chuckle when I hear that. And, and the reason is, RJ, is because there are no plays. Like that's not a thing. And uh, you might be thinking like, what are you talking about? Well, there are personnel groups and formations and movement and concepts. And you have to marry all of those together to get what you de deem as a play. You know, so people are like, well, why'd they run that play? Well, it's like, well, what play was that? And what formation was that? What personnel group was that? And so I love to hear the different type of, of, of language. So let me look back. I have my, I brought my, my book because I knew that we would do some of this. And yes. during the games, during the games, I'll just like scratch out, you know, I'll do like, it's just chicken scratches and stuff like this. But I just like, I just write what I hear, you know, and cause you can't see me, I'm in the booth. Right. So I, you know, I, I'm just writing what I hear. And so I'll, I'll write like razor bunch, Seattle, even. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Razor bunch. So razor bunch. And I immediately think to myself like razor bunch is a formation. So there's probably like a left razor bunch Seattle even. And I'm like, okay, Seattle is the concept. So yeah, I'm immediately like breaking things up. So razor bunch, that's a formation. You're going to go that way. You're going to make it left or right. So razor bunch formation, Seattle, that's a concept. 
Okay, Seattle is telling people what it is. It's probably a run concept. And in fact, I know it is because it's Birmingham. And, and then you've got to direct the run because Seattle is just how you're blocking it. But where are you blocking it? Well, even. Even means to the right. Okay, so all of this stuff means, means things. And, and you would not know that if you just heard the play call as a layperson, you know, Razor Bunch Seattle even. You're like, well, what in God's name does that mean? Is that a play? Kind of. Because you can be in Razor Bunch and run something other than Seattle. And it can be Seattle odd. It can be all sorts of different things. They've also got one that's like Rob. Rob's a formation. So it's left Rob, Atlanta, 48 Eagle. Atlanta's the protection. 48 Eagle is the pass concept, right? So Rob is the formation. Atlanta is the, the, the protection. How are you d- diagnosing the protection? So, yes, I love listening to the play call and trying to dissect all of that out. Um, that's, that's where I get most uh, excited. Um, the longer the play call, the more excited I get in the booth because I'm like, that is awesome. Um, so hearing it before, and then I think I get most uh, satisfaction out of if I can diagnose it or, or, or translate it as, as fast as I can. Um, maybe draw or just kind of try to give you a, a little bit of a, an idea of what you're about to see or what you just heard. That's when I really get excited. Um, brings me great satisfaction because I feel like when people watch sports, the one thing that they're maybe not one, but multiple things, I think something that they're looking for is to be, they, they want you in the booth to be the smartest person in the room. You have to be the expert, RJ, but you can't speak down to them. Um, and so like, you've got to be the smartest person in the room, but not feel like the smartest person in the room. So my favorite thing to do is to bring others like up to speed. This is what you're seeing and why. And, and because I, I want you at home to feel empowered. Well, in a normal broadcast, that's incredibly hard to do because everything that I'm doing is based on anticipation. Um, there's some guessing going on, but it's a feel. Whereas this, I can hear it. So I know. So I can bring you right to the water as a fan. So it, it brings me great satisfaction. And I think and I, I, I hope that people at home have really enjoyed that as well. Well, I know that is true because I hear about it often and it's one of my favorite things to discuss because people will come to know that I get the privilege of talking to you right from Mm -hmm. time to time and I get to hear how your mind is working. So you're doing a lot of different things at once. You're being a broadcaster, which means you're communicating extremely well. You're being a quarterback for which you played the position at a very high level at Colorado Uh and you're also being a fan. You know, that's that's one of my favorite aspects of you is. When you are really passionate and enthusiastic about what is going on in front of you, I feel that joy as well. But to your point about what it is like for you to try to talk to us and not talk down to us, but just bring us in. You did this yesterday. Like I'm watching the breakers in Tampa Bay and I watched Jordan Tamu make a play and it looks like he just threw the ball where it shouldn't have gone. Right. And you're going, okay, he had a crossing pattern that was open right here, but also you could see that they were just on different pages where you're saying this play concept was supposed to work in a very different way or Jordan saw it differently than the wide receiver saw it. And when I get to connect those dots, I feel as if, okay, I better understand, or it's not that I better understand, but I 
more better understand what is going on in front of me. Now, following on that, how do you try to help fans at home get better about being good at watching football, right? Like one of the ways you explained it to me was you see pre-snap reads as a wheel with the safeties and how they might rotate to one side or the other. What are some other things that you could point to for fans watching the broadcast at home? That's a good question. Um, uh, One of the ways that I I try, and I don't always do this, um, but if you're watching a telecast, I, I, I really dislike very much looking backwards because you have eyes and a brain, you know, so I don't need to just regurgitate to you what you just saw. So unless if we want to look backwards, that's fine. And we can do a replay, but I better tell you something that you don't see. Okay. Um, That's the way I feel. So I like, you know, you can see, Oh, he overthrew it. And there are times when I'm like, oh, you know, I just kind of overthrew it. And I immediately I'm like, that's stupid in my head. <laughs> so I'm like, you see that. Right? Like, why did he overthrow? Was it something in his technique? Why is an overthrow not important? What's a coaching point for a quarterback that you hear all the time during the week? And so I'll, I'll say things like, hey, inside breaking routes, checkdowns, slants, anything over the middle, the ball has to be thrown on the frame of the receiver. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like I can get that if I'm a fan. Um, so that's what I try to do. I also try to point forwards and I know this is not quite answering your question, but I'm going to get to what, what you specifically answered. So my favorite analysis is forward, uh, focused analysis. What, what is the strategy for this drive? How can they change their, their plan in order to have success? What do they need to do to change in order to have success? So anything that I'm saying along those lines is immediately, whether you know it or not at home, refocusing your gaze, if you will, or your focus, your eyes onto those things. So forward focusing analysis, I think is very important. Now, if you're just looking at things that are broad based and, and like, how can I just understand football, you know, regardless of what's being said, um, I think that the easiest way to do that is by understanding this very simple ratio. If you're watching football and there's one safety in the middle of the field, that's middle field closed. If there's two safeties back, then the middle of the field is open. So every coverage, regardless of if it's man or zone, comes out of the nature of open or closed. Does that make sense? Does. Okay. So that tells you a lot about the defensive structure as a quarterback. Just middle field open, middle field closed. One of the things that it tells you is whether they have more guys than you can block, regardless of what your formation or personnel group is. You can have two tight ends and a fullback, you know, which would be like a 22 personnel. Um, you can have two backs and one tight end. You can have no tight ends and one back, which is like 10 personnel. You can have one back and one tight end, which is like 11 personnel. It doesn't matter what the personnel group is. If there's just one safety in the field, then the structure of defense means that they've got more front defenders than you can block. Okay. So if you've got five up front, just the five offensive linemen, they have six. 
If you have seven, they have eight. You can't block them all. So they have what's called the run ratios. Now, what is also the nature of middle closed uh, defense is that you have what's called free access throws on the outside. Free access throws on the outside means that the outside defenders and middle closed defense, whether it's man or zone, so cover three or cover one or cover zero, whatever it is, I say zero is kind of closed because of the nature of the man coverage, but they have deep responsibility. So therefore you should be able to throw like a hitch or an out route or a go route. Like you have a one-on-one out there on the outside. They have run ratios. As soon as that safety goes two back there or whether it's cover four or six or whatever it is, right. It can be Tampa two. I don't care what the coverage is. If the middle field is open, you can block everybody in the run front. So what that tells me as a quarterback is like, I want the option. I want two or three play calls in the huddle, which you don't get a lot of in the USFL. I think it's primarily because they just don't quite have the practice time, but I want to have a check where I can run the football either direction or throw the football. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to check that based off of middle field, open middle field closed. Then I'm going to run to the most advantageous technique. So then you can get into all the like, minutia of structure and schematics of football. But what it really comes out of is the middle field open or the middle field close. And if you just start to understand that, you'll start to understand why the run game's not being successful or it is being successful. Why are they throwing the ball on first down versus running the ball on first down? It really all stems from that run ratio from the defense and whether there's one safety or no safeties in the middle. I enjoy that. And I, and I appreciate that you're taking the time to really take your time and help us understand not just middle and close, but uh, open and close, excuse me, but also things like what happened again in the bandits breakers game that I watched in which you saw Jordan Tamu was going to get wallop. You saw the run game was about to get wallop because the run ratio was in the favor of the breakers and John Tanuna's defense. And I'm looking at that going, there's seven guys on the line of scrimmage. I got five guys back there. And you're going to hand the ball to one of them. It's probably right. bad, right? And it right. ended up being pretty awful for them. And you're going, okay, why didn't they get out of that play? And you just answered the question. Perhaps they don't have something else to go to. And at that point, you're either stuck or you're calling a timeout is all I can come up with. And then I'm into the chess game that you are so enthusiastic about it because what you remind me is you see football like grandmasters see chess chunks. There's only so many options that you actually have available to you. That's right. Based on what's in front of you. There's only 22 pieces out there. And they can only be lined up in, in, in certain spots, you know. So that's what's fun about football. Well, on top of all of this, Fox has been on its A game, introducing some dynamics to professional football television that I don't think have ever been introduced. Like there's two sky cams out there. There's a yeah. drone flying around. We have – in-game audio, we have access to players explaining to us what they saw and why yeah. they went the way that they went. What has it been like for you to have all of this technology at your fingertips? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and we've thought really long and hard about how we're going to use those cameras, when we're going to use the sound. Um, uh, like, for instance, you know, I, I was a big proponent of this and, and of just saying like, hey, we need to take drives where we don't talk. And we just let people listen. And that's generally where I'm just writing down play calls, you know, in my little notebook. And I'm just writing down everything that I hear. Um, So that's amazing. 
I love with a capital L getting to hear the coach coach the player. I love that. That interaction, I think, is is my favorite because you get to hear guys do it really well. And and unfortunately, sometimes guys, you know, struggle with, with their communication. But you, you you hear guys that understand how to be calm and, and coach with information and not volume. You know, and I said that on one of the, the telecasts. I was like, great coaches coach with information, not volume. I can't stand when people just yell like, let's go finish, you know, like faster. Uh, Okay. Like I'm trying to do all of those things. Like, what do you like? That's not coaching. That's just saying things to say them. Um, But when you coach with information, Hey, here's why you made that mistake. Listen, there was this safety was high. Remember we're adjusting on that. We've got to bend to the hash so that we can keep the separation and we can bracket him with two up on the half. Remember, and always keep your eyes outside first. That's key. Keep your, that's information, right? I can use that versus just like, you know, like, got to make that throw. I know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I love hearing all of that. And obviously then the cameras and the different angles. We've thought long and hard. We had a lot of meetings about how we're covering the sport, how we can bring uh, different elements into it. The second sky cam from the defensive vantage point, you know, higher and behind the defense versus always behind the offense from the sky cam. I think that's been interesting, getting the drone out there and trying to just get just get closer to it. All, all of those things, I think, has, has made it better. And, and I, I'm hoping that there's going to be more and more of this uh, throughout football broadcast, regardless of the level moving forward. I'd be remiss if I did not mention the helmet can with Cam, which you know gets my blood going every time yeah. I see it. Even if it feels like it wasn't a play that actually mattered, I really enjoy that perspective. I also very much enjoy hearing you appreciate the things that I also appreciate, which is that human personal dynamic on the sideline. I'm nuanced. I understand what emotion sounds like. I also understand when people are reaching for something to say, right? Being a blowhard for a living, right? Um, But I also am very interested in hearing you react to what is there because you have a very good way of saying, I know what the situation is. And I also understand what a coaching point is. And you understand, hey, everybody's doing the best they can all the time. Mm-hmm. sometimes we just make mistakes and if you get that part out of the way you can get straight to coaching and how do we make this better which leads me to the last question I had for you which is if there is one thing that you want people to take with them from the USFL and this journey that we all have been on for the better part of six months what mm-hmm. is it um it's a good question I, there's multiple things but I think first and foremost that it's I think that it's been a, and, and I think that, that on so many different fronts, I I think that it's been a wild success. I think it's been a wild success. Technically. I think it's been a wild success from a rating standpoint. I think it's been a wild success from a developmental standpoint. There are going to be players that, that go on and, and get time in NFL camps because of their time in the USFL this year. Um, it's been a wild success from a sustainability standpoint and looking towards the future and understanding that there are guys in this league that maybe won't go to the NFL and that's not a bad thing. And guess what? They'll be back next year and they're going to form a whole career in professional football 
um, in the USFL and, and might be here for a number of years so that the fan bases can attach to them. All of those things are, are true. And, and then first and, and lastly, I would just say, I, I want fans to take with them that this is our national sport now, and it is our common denominator. We love this sport. And, and more than anything, when we have a league like this that allows us to experience it on a, on a deeper, more emotional and visceral level, I think it's a good thing that we understand the sport that we love uh, more deeply. So all of those things is, are what I'm, I'm hoping people take away. Right on. Joel Klatt is our lead USFL and college football analyst at Fox Sports. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to yeah. give us your perspective on the inaugural season of the United I, States football. I have loved that you have been in on it and covering it all year and, uh, you know, consuming a lot of your content. I think you do a great job, uh, obviously, in the fall. And then you've, you've done that, obviously, now in the spring, RJ. So I'm thankful for that because people that are passionate about this sport, like I'm here for. And you, you clearly are passionate about this sport. Thank you, Joel. You bet. My thanks to Joel Klatt for joining us here on the number one ranked show. As you can tell, Joel is passionate about the game of football, the X's and O's of football, the crest gen, uh, the chess grandmaster of it all, in that he is able to diagnose what is happening in real time and help us become better educated football fans. And I know if you're as hardcore about it as I am, you absolutely were eating up what Joel was dishing out. Okay, now. Let me predict for you, USFL Coach of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and yes, Most Valuable Player, for which we might have some surprises here. Okay, so off the rip, USFL Coach of the Year, which will be announced Wednesday of this week, June 22nd. Shout out to my sister. It is also her birthday. I think that that's just going to go to Skip Holtz. And I hate to just say it like that, but it has been one of the better coaching, well, my goodness, seasons, I would say, of his career in that he started off this year 8-0 before they took their first loss in a game that they could have won. But also, he's been able to do it with two different quarterbacks. He's done it with new running backs. He's done it with different defenders. He's lost his primary defenders. He's brought some of his better linebackers, and he's been coaching them up on the sidelines. He's been enthusiastic about this season, and he's been coaching the hometown team which came with some added pressure that we didn't really know about until we got to the regular season. With the first game, they're playing the New Jersey Generals, and you are seeing it's not just that it's nearly a full house. It's that most of the folks that are there are here to see the Birmingham Stallions. Uh, shout out to Skip Holtz, who put together a great team and a great season, and good luck to them in the USFL playoffs. Okay, next on the list, USFL Offensive Player of the Year. That, I think, is probably going to go to New Jersey Generals running back Darius Victor. He had nine rushing TDs through week nine. No one else had more than three. He had been really the guy that they'd been able to anchor the defense around and ride him out as they were going back and forth between two quarterbacks at New Jersey, right? They also had been looking for a person that could get them that short yardage. And one of the things that Mike Riley had said to open the season was that he would be really just confused if they weren't able to run the ball well. So as much as this award is probably for me, 
going to Darius Victor. It's also going to his offensive line, which has been outstanding against some really stout defenses. And quiet as it's kept, the generals have been playing outstanding football since they opened the season. As a matter of fact, they probably should have and could have beat the Birmingham Stallions and been undefeated had they not suffered that loss. They're also the first team to punch a ticket to the USFL playoffs. Now that I think about it, if they really want to dice it up, maybe they'll look at Mike Riley instead of Skip Pulse, but I would, I still think it's really difficult to overstate just what Skip was able to accomplish for Birmingham and certainly what Darius Victor has meant to the New Jersey Generals in as far as Offensive Player of the Year. Now, USFL Defensive Player of the Year, I think you had a couple of different candidates you could have gone with here, right? Channing Stribling. Philadelphia Stars leads the league in interceptions with six. He has become his own no-fly zone for them, really shutting down one side of the football field. For the Houston Gamblers, you had defensive end Chris Odom, who went into the week leading the league in sacks with 11. Through like nine weeks, he had 11 still, and I don't think he had a sack in his uh, outing against the Rainy Hand Stallions, but he had meant quite a, to the, uh, quite a bit to this league as well as the Gamblers themselves. Gerard Fernandez also comes to mind for the New Orleans Breakers. He's been outstanding. Bonte Diggs for the New Orleans Breakers. He's been outstanding. Shalom Lawani, safety for the New Jersey Generals. He's been outstanding. I could really look around the defenses at this league and see some outstanding players. But the guy that I believe is going to win it is Donald Payne Jr., linebacker for the Houston Gamblers. He leads the league in tackles. He's the first one to notch 100 in the season, which is no small feat, right? Keep in perspective, this regular season is only 10 weeks long, which means to get to 100 tackles in 10 weeks would mean you have to average better than 10 tackles a game. That dude did that through nine weeks, which is, again, ridiculous. Just a tackling machine. I mean, put Bobby Boucher on his back. He had been everywhere, running down everything, and more importantly, putting it on the ground. Outstanding football player, and I hope to see that he gets an opportunity to once again make an impact in the NFL. And then my last award to give, USFL Most Valuable Player. I had to really think about this because Most Valuable Player in football is usually a quarterback award. It's really difficult not to give it to a quarterback because it is a singular position and it's an important position. But I gave some thought to Darius Victor. I gave some thought to what Bo Scarborough meant to the Birmingham Stallions. I gave some thought to Kyle Sloter, but He's just thrown more interceptions than he has touchdown passes, and it's really difficult to give a quarterback that award. I looked at some wide receivers like Victor Bolden, who has a ton of targets. I looked at dudes like, my goodness, Darius Shepard and what he has mixed quietly to the New Jersey Generals. There were lots of candidates out there, which also speaks to the parity across this league, is that this wasn't an easy award for me to even give. And I settled on J.M.R. Smith, quarterback for the Birmingham Stallions. The reason I did this is I'm looking at, okay, who has been the best team for most of the season? Okay, that's the Stallions. Usually you're going to have the best, have to be the best player on the best team. Okay, you could have gone with Demarcus Gates here, I think, or even Scooby Wright for his energy and what he provides. Man, I just had a hard time getting past what J.M.R. Smith has meant to the Stallions, especially in light of Alex Magoo going down early, trying to come back, going down again. If you don't have J.M.R. Smith on that team, who already understands what Skip Holt wants in his offense and what he wants out of his quarterback, and you have him to be your backstop and then be your starter, first by default and then by necessity and then by absolutely winning the job, you don't get to be 
the Birmingham Stallions, right? You have to have a quarterback that can threaten that defense through the pass, but also with his legs. That's no shade to Alex Magoo, who's actually quite swift. So swift that they lined him up at slot receiver a couple of times, and I was excited to see that. But if you don't have Jamar Smith, I don't think you have the Birmingham Stallions being the one seed in the South for the better part of the year, being the best team in the league. And what he meant to them from the jump, coming in late to win their week one game, to what he has meant to them throughout the season, his ability to stay steady, his ability to do what his head coach asked, to be an extension of what Skip Holtz desires from his football team. I I don't think there's another player that comes close to that dynamic for a coach. I also think that I could take a bunch of way, uh, or I could take away a bunch of players from different teams and still come back to Jamar Smith because of what he has meant to them. And quite honestly, to the city of Birmingham in this inaugural season where they have been kind enough to host the United States Football League all year. They would be my most valuable player had I been able to award fans for what they have done and what they've meant to this league. But I got to give it to a player. I'm giving it to one of their own, and I'm giving it to who I think is the most important and most valuable player for the Birmingham Stallions. Okay, that is going to do it for this week's episode of USFL Spotlight. We're going to Canton. We're going to see who can win these two playoff games, semifinals, if you will, as we head toward crowning our inaugural USFL champion on Sunday, July 3rd at Tom Benson Pro Football Hall of Fame Stadium. I hope to see you there. All right, that is it for me. Deuces.